Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 31 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barrichini. And Peter, lots of milestones this week in the NHL, lots of Leafs talk this week. And we got some NWHL talk on the pod. Um, We have a wonderful guest in line. We'll get to him in just a little bit. But before we do, how's it going out your way? I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm doing really good. Um, I don't. I never like. I never do a shout out, but I want to give a shout out to Dylan Krill from over at FC Hockey, doing a lot of like the scouts coverage and everything. Had a little chat with him, and he listens to our show. And he actually took my suggestion of the Love and Death cover of there "Let Me know. Love You" from Justin Bieber. So my music suggestions are slowly reaching out. Um, no, nah, I'm just joking. But I mean, <laughs> shout out to him. I mean, really great guy. Knows his prospects really well, especially from the USHL. Becoming a fan of Brent Johnson. So yeah, if you're looking out for a name, um, obviously he suggested that to me. I've been watching him pretty much a lot lately. I know this is the draft show, but man, this kid's pretty good. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's always fun when you you're making uh, suggestions out there and people are following along, especially when you find out they're watching the show or listening to the show, I should say. So that's always uh, always a little pump for our tires there. Should probably have a weekly song suggestion for viewers out there. But then again, you may not like my taste in music. But hey, you know what? It's all good. Hey, at the end of the day, it's our show. If you choose to listen, you can uh, <laughs> you can choose whether or not you want to listen to the music. Absolutely, no argument there. Um, like I mentioned, uh, lots of lots to talk about this week in uh, in hockey. Uh, I'm not going to just say the NHL because there's big news uh, all across the board. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start off with a little NWHL back underway. It looks like they're going to pick up their Isabel Cup. Um, in late March, uh, they, they are going to play in Boston. Um, uh, and, and it's perfect because, you know what, I think they've really got a great audience uh, playing in Lake Placid. And for them to have had to shut everything down due to COVID, um, I think it was it, it definitely hurt. It didn't hurt the league per se, but it hurt the league in the sense that they were starting to build that following. And mm-hmm. with that following comes you know, sponsorships, dollar amount, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and you're you're starting to talk about now these players being paid what they are owed uh, in, in essence, right? So for that, in, in that sense, I do believe that, you know, it definitely didn't help the league. Um, but that being said, it's great to, to, to hear that they're going to be getting it back underway. Obviously, Toronto Six wanted to get back underway in their inaugural season. They were off to a hot start. Um, so, yeah, we're looking forward to that and and, and to see how, how much this will help the, the NWHL grow and uh, build new relationships and try, try and build the league as a whole. Yeah, and we've talked about it multiple times on how, like, the viewership and how, like, they're, like, 
like people are tuning in on Twitch that are in the tens of thousands. I think at even one point it was in like the 60,000s watching the game. And that's that's the audience that you wanted to reach. And they did a fantastic job of marketing it, trying to sell themselves and get the and get the fans on board because this is really exciting hockey. It's actually, you know, it's something that should have been done a long time ago and it's taken so long to get to this point, but I'm glad that people are tuning in and shout out to the Toronto six because they're the top seeded team. And on March 26th, they're taking on the Boston pride in the first semifinal game. So be on the lookout, get your uh, sticks paraphernalia ready because you know what they're looking, like you said, they're off to a hot start. They're looking pretty dangerous. And you know what, for their inaugural season, Obviously, you like to do it in front of an audience, but man, they're just killing it right now. Hey, look, tr- playoff hockey for Toronto hockey or for Tor- a Toronto hockey team. Yeah. That's 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 the biggest thing to come from that is that there's playoff hockey for a Toronto hockey team. Mm-hmm. That's uh, always and, the end goal. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Men's, women's, doesn't matter. Um, the fact that the Toronto Six have been able to do what they did um, in their inaugural season, even in the tournament format. Um, it's just, it's, it's exciting for them. It's exciting for the league. It's exciting for, you know, women's hockey in Canada. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, congratulations to them. And, and, uh, you know, we look forward to seeing the result in that uh, first semifinal game. Yeah. Go six, go. We're behind you a hundred percent. Absolutely. Uh, jumping over to the NHL. uh, I mentioned it in the opening. There was a lot of milestones to talk about this week. Uh, we're going to run through them very quickly. If you want to talk about anyone in particular, obviously we'll jump on that afterwards. But Patrick Maroon scored his 100th goal. Patrick Kane played in his 1,000th NHL game. Jamie Benn recorded his 700th career point. DJ Smith, former Maple Leaf uh, assistant coach, uh, um, coached his 100th game as a head coach. Um, Dylan Coughlin scored his first three goals in the same game. First time, or sorry, only the third time a defenseman has done that uh, at the NHL level. Uh, Barry Trotz had coached his 1700th game, only the third coach to do so. Um, Sean Monaghan, 200th goal. John Carlson, 500th point. First defenseman in Washington Capitals history to reach that mark. And... Ovi watch. He is he scored his 363rd road goal, passing Steve Eisman for second all time in road goals. He is also one goal shy of tying Phil Esposito for sixth all time on the NHL's goals list. So obviously Ovechkin watch is something that uh, you know Bucci uh, Bucci Gross got, has going, but uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> obviously uh, touch on that as much as as much as we can uh, from week to week as well as he kind of closes in on the next echelon of players in that top five. Yeah, a lot of milestones, and I think one that uh, I mean because we are a Leaf podcast, he's not there yet, but Joe Thornton's two assists away from eleven hundred, so be on the lookout for that. That could happen at any point. Could happen tonight. Uh, where recording on Sunday could happen against the Ottawa Senators, or it could happen next week when they start uh, their new series against the Calgary Flames. But yeah, Ovi just keeps on coming. I mean, he just keeps on going with the goals. I mean, um, two back of Esposito for six online, as you mentioned. Um, it. What can you say? 
Like, this guy lives to score goals. It's absolutely amazing. We're witnessing history right now. And, you know, everyone can say, oh, I got to see Wayne Gretzky break his or, like, set the goal-scoring record back in, like, you know, through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I was, like, eight years old when Gretzky retired. But we're witnessing history right now. We have a chance to see someone break an unbreakable record. And... This is just phenomenal stuff with the road goal still moving up in the goal ranks. I love it. But Dylan Coughlin, um, this is a story. This is the type of thing that you want to hear from, like, you know, rookies coming in, wanted to make a name for themselves. And Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey uh, News, I was about to say Hockey Raiders for a second, Hockey News, had a really great, great profile. Yeah, had a really great profile piece on him, and he was passed over three times in the NHL draft before he got a shot with the uh, Golden Knights. And twelfth game in, he records the first three goals of his career a hat trick, and that's just something that you love to see no matter what. And it's really tough for a defenseman to get a hat trick. I, I mean, but for a rookie to do that, hey. He's done something that many defensemen are still trying to do, and he's still at a young age. So, you know what? Congrats to him. I I think that out of all the milestones, uh, I mean, always Ovi, but I think that one's something to highlight. Yeah, I was going to mention, um, if you want to see the tweet, head back to March 10th uh, for the NHL Public Relations uh, PR Twitter. Um, they mentioned that he is the third defenseman in NHL history to score his first three goals uh, in the same game. The others... The, he's the first one since 1984. So the others are Uli Heimer, uh, who scored his first three goals October 31st, 1984, against or with the uh, New Jersey Devils. The one prior to that, Joe Hall, back January 21st, 1918, with the Montreal Canadiens. So he's among some pretty crazy company. The fact that he's only the third defenseman in NHL history to do to to achieve that feat. Um, it's like you said, it's pretty incredible especially for a young guy who, who has that kind of story. Um, obviously, a tough time getting to the NHL. And, mm. uh, you know, just congratulations to him. That's just exciting. Um, I did want to mention as well, uh, Barry Trott, 1,700 games. That's nothing to joke about. Um, no. Only two coaches have more games coached than he does. Joel Quenville at 1,732 and Scotty Bowman at 2,141. Um, Paul Maurice, obviously going to be the next one to reach the 1700 mark at some point. He's at 1627. Consider this. Paul Maurice is the 15, 15th youngest coach in the NHL right now. Oof. So, I mean, give him credit because there's about 14 other, 15 other coaches that are 16 other coaches that are younger than him. But yeah. uh, there's only 14 that are, are, are older than him. And uh, he's been able to put up some incredible numbers over his coaching career as well. Obviously started at a young age. Yeah. And obviously endured his like, you know, little hiccups, especially with the new organization with the National Predators when they came in through expansion. But I read, I, I read an article uh, from Brian Compton over at NHL.com about his 1700 uh, NHL games. And he just made it a little like a little joke he's just like it means that i'm old right now to be at 1700 games and he's only 58 so he's still got a lot of hockey left in him the coach he's a fantastic mind and you know what that's just absolutely unreal that you know he's that's to reach that milestone at just under 60 years old that's pretty impressive 
Yeah, and uh, also worth noting, DJ Smith, while he did reach his 100th career game, um, in the first 99 games of his career behind the bench, he was 34-52-13. and 13. Shout out to the Ottawa Senators for giving him that uh, record. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, I mean, last year you really have no control because, you know, they they were going to be at the bottom of the standings. You expected the same thing right now, but they got a good prospect system and pool in place right now. And some of their better or their younger players are stepping up to the plate right now. So will things change in the future? I'm hoping because, hey, I want to see another competitive Toronto-Ottawa uh, Battle of Ontario rivalry in the future. But yeah, um, he, he's a really good hockey mind, uh, DJ Smith. So you know what? He, I believe he won uh, the Memorial Cup with the Oshawa Generals, um, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, he's someone that, you know, he wanted an opportunity and he's going to get it with uh, the Ottawa Senators right now. Yeah, no, I, and that's not a shot at DJ Smith. I do think he's an incredible hockey mind. Oh, Obviously, absolutely. he can only work with what he's given. I think the most shocking part for me is that, you know, you bring in Matt Murray, sign him to a four-year deal, and he just hasn't seemed to work out so far this year for the the Ottawa Senators. Um, I I honestly thought they were going to be a little bit better than they have been. Um, That being said, I mean, obviously, you'd like to see for for Smith's sake, you'd like to see them turn it around maybe within the next year or two. But, uh, you know, they do have a great prospect system. I think it's more of a four- or five-year kind of – turnaround for them but i mean we'll we'll see obviously you never know players can come into this league and just light it up and and really shock everybody so um obviously we'll see how that uh how that turns out for the ottawa senators definitely and they won the ohl cup or the ohl championship under dj smith edmonton oil kings won the memorial cup back in 2014 when that happened so little correction there on my part Worth noting, since we, we talked a little bit about Murray and contracts, the St. Louis Blues have signed Jordan Bennington to a six-year contract extension worth 30, $36 million rather. Um, obviously, Freeze was the first one to report the deal. Um, but, uh, yeah, big news for Bennington. I mean, if anybody's kind of followed this guy's story on how he came up, at one point he was playing for the Boston Bruins um, – affiliate team and he was kind of just called up to to play for for the st louis blues and and from there took off he's obviously a stanley cup winning uh, goaltender now uh six million i think it's a great deal for the team um and it solidifies bennington's spot um in in between the pipes for the st louis blues over the next six years yeah um I think the only concern that you could have is, you know, the his play this year has been very up and down and not necessarily and has kind of been inconsistent. So there's that factor where are you really willing to pay six million for, you know, below or just average numbers this time around 281 goals against average, which is pretty good. 906 save percentage. But then again, we're noticing a lot of goalies tending to give up a lot of goals this year. Um but hey, I mean, yeah, no, he is a Stanley Cup champion. He does deserve an extension. Um, got the cap space, and they are good for the future. So that is a really good sign. It's crazy because this team has Ville Husso waiting in the in the uh, wins as well. Yeah. Um. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially with the expansion draft coming. Obviously, they're going to have to leave one goalie unprotected. Um. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think. 
this year's a hard hard sell in terms of talking about a play a player's performance, especially mm-hmm. because you don't have that training camp. Uh, you don't have the same kind of uh, preseason. You don't, you know, you don't have that same time to kind of grow and get ready for the for the season that is. Um, that said, I do think that a Stanley Cup to your name plays a big role in in how much you make, and I think it gives you that little bit of a boost in terms of pay, especially at his age. Had he been yeah. a little bit older at, at the time of signing this contract, I think we'd be talking about a different story here. But that said, um, you know, six million for a goaltender uh, at this point in time, it's not it's not the worst deal in the league, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think he'll probably be your starter for at least four of those six years, and then those last two maybe play a mentor role for like a guy like uh, like Huso. So mm-hmm. uh, it it'll be interesting to see how it works out. But like you said, they have the cap space. Um, you know, he he has proven that he can put a good run together. It's just a matter of getting back to that point. And, I mean, you have to remember that this is a team that lost a big name in, in Petrangelo this, this offseason. Um, yeah, they brought in Tory Krug, but he's he's not he's not a Petrangelo. He's not that, that big yeah. in front of your face um, defensive defenseman with a great great ability to, to play some offense as well. He's, he's more of a puck-moving defenseman. So I do think that does play a role in how Bennington's been able to put up some numbers this year as well. Unless I forget, they got Vladimir Tarasenko back, so their offense should be clicking on all cylinders right now. But just going back to their non-roster goaltending, they still got World Junior Championship hero Joel Hofer waiting in the wings as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they they look pretty set in goaltending, even if, like, you know, maybe what I don't know what's going to happen with Billy Huso, but let's say he moves on. They got a really good goaltender in Hoffer, and if uh, Bennington starts to fail, I wouldn't surprise me that Joel Hofer starts to take over at some point down the line. Maybe not, obviously not now, because you know it's still developing. But his performance at the World Juniors, man, coming out of nowhere, he's going to be that underdog no matter what. Yeah, no, absolutely, and um, yeah, it's it's crazy to think Tarasenko is just coming back. They still got Robert Thomas waiting to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a lot of talent that was out of the lineup for some time, so it it'll be it'll be a different uh, Blues team um, down the stretch here, and uh, you know Bennington's numbers could could uh, kind of increase and and uh, become a little bit better off of that as well. Um, another quick note: Dante Fabro, defenseman in Nashville, he has been suspended for two games um, after an elbow. Uh, to, I forget who the, who the guy was, but, uh, regardless, two games for Dante Fabro, young guy, Rock obviously. McGinn. That's right. Yes. Rock yeah. McGinn. Yeah. Rock McGinn. And, uh, obviously, you know, he, um, he wants to be in the lineup. He's a young guy. He wants to, to get his reps and, uh, you know, the two games deserved, I think. Uh, but again, I mean, we're talking about the de- the department of player safety and and really not having a guideline as to what how to suspend certain players i mean you see guys like get let's go back to the ovechkin spear for a second <laughs> yeah five thousand dollar fine and then you get a guy who and and ovechkin has a history let's not forget mm-hmm. ovechkin does have a history um yeah. then you get a guy like dante fabro first time offender and he's suspended for two games so I mean, take it for what you will, but uh, obviously Fabro is going to sit for two games, and the National Predators are still going to be a selling team come the deadline. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a bad hit. I mean, 
Yeah, obviously, no, I, I know Fabro, Fabro style play. You know, he's that not necessarily a two way mind, but he does tend to be a really solid puck moving defenseman. But he can play really good defense at the same time, and he likes to throw the body, as we noticed in the past, even at the World Junior Tournament. Um, but there was enough time for Labro, uh, Fabro to lay off and take the body instead of raising his elbow to the head. I mean. I think maybe it was just the intensity, maybe just wanted to set his mark, let him know that, hey, because we, we've heard that his name is out there in the rumors. Um, Nashville only is has three unprotected players at the, or three players that are protected, and Dante Favreau is one of them. So maybe he, wa- he wants to make a point saying, hey, I want to be here for this foreseeable future. But it was a bad hit. I mean... Whether it like first time offense or not, I know they like to go with the fine, but you know what? In a sense like this, because it's a hit to the head, suspend it. This is again, we've been on this ranting nonstop. If it's a hit to the head, suspend it right away. If that's really your goal to try and end stuff like that, suspension, don't even worry about the fine. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with it. And uh, I don't have any issue with the with the suspension. Mm-hmm. I just my my issue is more with the Department of Player Safety and, and trying to find some some sort of consistency. But um, deserving of the suspension. Yes. Uh, and uh, like I said, he'll sit for two games. Uh, obviously hurts my fantasy team where I'm sitting <laughs> in second last in my uh, my keeper league. But hey, you got to do what you got to do. Absolutely. Um, I do want to mention that uh, we did miss Keith Yandel's 1000th game as well. Uh, he played his 1,000th game, I believe, last night, uh, which would be Saturday night against the Chicago Blackhawks. So congratulations to Keith Yandel, who's had quite the career as well um, over that span. Um, I want to jump into a couple of bigger notes before we, we head over to the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, the ESPN deal. This is mm-hmm. a phenomenal deal for the NHL. It's huge. Um, it's It's huge. And yeah. uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, it's gonna bring. Obviously, it's gonna bring hockey back to ESPN, which is a big note. Um, not sure who's gonna be the voice behind it, but uh, obviously there's some some speculation as to who who they want. It is a seven year deal with the NHL as part of the the the, the league's new uh, U.S. media rights package, um, and I believe they have the opportunity to get four Stanley Cup finals between 2022 and 2028. Plus they have streaming rights for Disney. Um, so the fact that Disney's involved in all of this is, is just incredible as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a big deal. NBC currently pays 200 million annually for the exclusive us rights that obviously expires at the end of this year. ESPN is going to pick that up with it, with a big deal themselves. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a big deal for, for the league and for ESPN reported that it's between 400 and 420 million. So that is a major jump in revenue and the money that you're getting in to try and help increase, you know, you know, the profit and what the league is trying to do right now. But yeah, I'm kind of disappointed because I have a Disney Plus account. I really wanted games to be streaming on Disney Plus, but it looks like I'm gonna you're gonna have to get to ESPN Plus or Hulu for that. But um, yeah, really great deal. I mean, it's I remember back in the day where you know it was EA Sports with the NHL, and they also had an ESPN NHL 2K uh, video game. And I think the last one I had, I think I had like either Martin Saint Louis on it or Vincent Lecavalier, and not not to like compare the video games, but man, they, they 
the ESPN broadcast at that point in the past looked really good. And the fact that right now they're trying to bring back the original broadcast, I mean, it's just something. Sorry, that was just a nostalgia effect for me right there. But, yeah, there are a lot of questions going in as opposed to what can happen in the season. Some other notes that um, is up in regards to the article from Kyle Cantlin from Yahoo Sports. There's uh, going to be 25 regular season games airing on ABC ESPN, 75 regular season contests streaming each year on ESPN Plus and Hulu, um, coverage of opening night games, NHL All-Star Games, Skills Challenge, and Flagpole events, ABC ESPN and ESPN2 airing weekly studio shows throughout the NHL season. I know fans wanted to see Stephen A. Smith get his take on all hockey, so that'll be really interesting to hear Stephen A. talk about hockey. And also, um, exclusive or excessive highlight rights uh, and international media rights in Latin America, Caribbean, and parts of Europe as well. So it's extending all over the country as well, or all over the globe. So... This is going to be really interesting. Obviously, you know, NBC, somebody needed to pick it up with their right or with their contract extending. And you know what? Big pickup for ESPN because now the NHL is going to be in co- in competition with the three other major sports that they broadcast on there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's the first time since 2004 that ESPN will have uh, the NHL rights. Um as you mentioned, obviously it'll be on a- ABC and more than a thousand games per season streaming over ESPN Plus. Um, yeah, it's just it, it's going to create more of a global global uh, feel Absolutely. for the for the uh, for the league as well. And if you want to talk about growth, I mean, this is just it's a perfect opportunity for them to really grow the game. Um, mm-hmm. uh, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman did say that. Not only will this groundbreaking seven-year deal enable the NHL to benefit from the incomparable power, reach, and influence of the Walt Disney Company and ABC ESPN, it sets a new standard in delivering our game to the most passionate and tech-savvy fans in sports in the ways they now demand and on the platforms they use. So obviously, you're not only talking about global growth, you're talking about growth in terms of your ability to watch the games. No mm-hmm. longer are you purchasing Rogers, Bell, whatever you may have um, in, in south of the border or what what have you. Um, now you're talking about being able to to watch it on apps like ESPN Plus, like yeah. Hulu, like you know what I'm saying. Like it's just it, it creates more opportunity, and the viewership is definitely going to see an increase. Um, right now, ESPN Plus currently has more than 12 million subscribers. Yeah. Hulu has 39.4 million. So that just goes to show you right now, I mean, you're talking about nearly 50 million. Um, sorry, you are talking about 50, 50, close to 52 million subscribers over those two apps. It's just going to be, uh, it's going to be pretty incredible what, what they're able to do with this new deal. And imagine the people that don't have an account that are going to flock over and sign one up, sign for one. So absolutely. I mean, let's say so. We all, everyone, everything's going all streaming with Netflix, uh, Disney Plus, Hulu. There's streaming services out there. You know, everyone, everyone's been getting them. It's cheaper. It's easier. And you know what? Why not start to stream it on? Why not stream the sports? I mean, it's simple. It's 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 a it's a viable market. And you know what? At some point, whether the cost is low right now. You're going to see an increase to like jump two dollars in terms of like you know your subscription because let's face it, I remember when I signed up for Netflix, prices increase in like four or five years since. 
So now with this happening right now in two to three years, that price or subscription to ESPN is going to double, maybe increase as well. So I really Look, you want, you want oh, no, good content, good opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Good content is it, it's going to cost you more. It's the same as like any subscription, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, if you, if your price is increasing by two bucks and you get to watch, you know, over a thousand games a year, um, that's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredible opportunity for, for viewers. It's an incredible opportunity for ESPN. It's an incredible opportunity for the NHL. So I, I, I'm excited to see what this deal brings to the NHL. I think it's going to really grow the game. Um, and hopefully, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about more young players coming from different countries over the next seven years because of this deal. I, I honestly believe that. And I say we, because you and I talk a lot about the NHL draft. We talk a lot about prospects. We're involved in the prospect writing at the hockey writers. Um, and and I think this will give us the opportunity to see players from different countries that maybe we don't talk about as much, um, whether it be you know Caribbean countries, whether it be European countries. There's going to be a lot more opportunity for these players to see the game, to learn the game, to love the game. And with that they will be able to hopefully make their case for the NHL draft at some point. And as we mentioned that the NHL draft looks like it could be staying in July for the 2021 draft. Yeah. Thank God. Because, um, thank God. Uh, I mean, yeah, you don't want to mess with the schedule. You already had something in place. Just keep it as is. You don't want it to, you don't want to bring one season into another and then have or bring one back and try and overlap it. It was just going to create so much confusion. And going back on what you said about, you know, the ESPN deal expanding on it. Um, I, I just would like to talk about I did an article in the past uh, where I was highlighting the Russian Heritage Network or Russian Heritage uh, um, Russian Heritage Night. And the impact that they've had in like areas such as like, you know, Estonia, Kazakhstan, all parts of Eastern Europe, uh, Eastern Europe, where everything, you know, hockey is not as predominant. They were trying to get the word out and try and bring people together and expand the game. So that players in those areas could develop and get involved with the game. Hopefully this deal as well can get help push that, push start um that initiative and help uh, that following grow as well because hey we're seeing players or like um uh players start to develop and come over from you know even japan right now and this is what you want this is the growth this is what you wanted to do get more people involved all across the globe but yeah the, um keeping the draft lottery as, as uh in july i mean there was no need to change it at all yeah, no, I, I'm a huge fan of this. And as I mentioned on previous shows that, uh, you know, it gives these players an opportunity to celebrate their their accomplishments in making it mm-hmm. to the NHL and being drafted to the NHL um, rather than, you know, you have the 2021 draft and all of a sudden you've got the 2022 draft the following day. Yeah. I just was never a fan of it. I think this is a great opportunity for, for the NHL to to really kind of get back to a little bit of normalcy in, in, in terms of having that, that draft kind of, in a similar spot as to where it would have been. Um, and hopefully 
they can slowly get back. Obviously, we're seeing fans kind of crowd into into some st- stadiums now and, and uh, some arenas and, and giving giving uh, teams the opportunity to get back to a little bit of normalcy. And um, you know, we we talk about it all the time on this podcast. I mean, we're that's the reason we started this is you know both of us were at home in lockdown and, and uh, you know it's the COVID podcast, but yeah. Um, it's uh, it will give a little bit of normalcy back to the game in mm-hmm. keeping the the draft where it is. That said, the NHL did um, talk a little bit about proposed changes to the the draft lottery, yeah. um, which could could happen at at some point over the next couple of years. Um, obviously, it'll have to be approved by the NHL Board of Governors. Um, it, it has been circulated, according to uh, Chris Johnson from Sportsnet, it has been circulated to clubs um, back on March 8th, um, and, and it will be subject to the approval of the Board of Governors. That said, here are the few changes that they're looking at. Teams limited limited to no more than two lottery wins over a five-year period. Shout out to the uh, Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> um, we can call this the Oilers rule. Um, yeah. But it, it'll give more of a more parity in the league. I think it'll mm-hmm. obviously uh, create more opportunity for teams that are struggling. You look at the more Detroit balance. Red Wings, more balance. Yeah. You talk about the Detroit Red Wings right now. You talk about uh, you know the Ottawa Senators obviously right now. Um, yeah, they have good pipelines, but at this point in time, you want to see a little bit more growth league wide. Um, teams only allowed to jump ten spots with a lottery win. So the New York Rangers, a perfect example. Um, obviously, they got Lafreniere this year. Um, probably not deserving of that, uh, no. seeing as how they ha- how they uh, performed last season. Um, and a reduction in the number of picks decided by lottery from three to two. So instead of talking about three teams possibly moving up, you're talking only about two teams moving up. And uh, that can, again, create more parity, Less uh, less frustration among fan bases and among teams, and uh, you know, have teams kind of turn things around possibly a little bit qu- quicker than they normally would. Yeah, especially the Rangers, who I really do like that because let's face it, that pissed a lot of people off. There's no way a playoff team should. I mean, I get that you know, to make the order and give teams a fair chance when they didn't make the playoffs, it was an odd year, and I did, and I know that they, they that they did the best that they could, but let's say so. There's no way a playoff team should be making or winning the draft lottery at all, whether it was a qualifying round or anything else. And that point, it should have just been the top ten uh, bottom teams, because let's face it, the teams outside of that really have lower odds anyway. So chances are they weren't going to get it at all. Well, it did work out because of the Rangers, but. Um, I do like the fact that no more than ten, uh, a team can jump more than 10 spots. But even so, like, what about teams in the 9 to 10 spot and they jump up into the top two? That doesn't really... I I still don't think that that is a great rule because you're saying that they they still have a chance to move up even though that they really shouldn't. And I talked about this a few episodes ago where I mentioned Gavin Chieson from Rex Scouting's proposal. He said that he would have separate drafts for specific ranges. So like one to four, have one separate draft to do that. Five to five to eight to do a separate draft for that. And then nine to 12 or something like that. Like have it in increments to try and judge or try and balance it out for teams in certain ranges. Because let's face it, if a team that won the lottery in the 10 spot or nine spot 
they jump up to win the lottery and draft first, uh, that's still not going to sit right with a lot of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's uh, it's a big discussion to have. Obviously, you want to do it right, so you're not you're not doing changes year in and year out. But uh, yeah, big discussion to have for the NHL, and and hopefully moving forward, we can see a little bit more. Less of the New York Rangers jumping up and more of like teams like Detroit, like Ottawa that need need the help to to I mean, you're you're gonna lose fan bases. At the end of the day, like a team like Buffalo right now, um They could use a first overall pick. They could use a first overall pick. <laughs> give Jack Eichel an opportunity to actually do something in this league, uh, rather than, you know, year in, year out carrying his team and, and never making the playoffs. Um it just it, it's I mean, there's so many, so much opportunity here, but you want to do it right so that you're not, you're not going back on it, you know, a year later. I will say this: Detroit has done a good job of drafting without getting the first overall pick. I mean, you look at Mort Sider, you look at Lucas Raymond, you even look at a player like I even think Jonathan Bergeron right now, who are playing phenomenal hockey at overseas right now, and it's just absolutely amazing that they got three solid players that aren't going to be first overall picks. So they did their homework. They picked the best player available, and I think it's going to work out for them. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I think it's a great opportunity. And, uh, um, yeah, I think Detroit's been able to do what they've done late in the drought. I mean, this you're talking about a team who's been able to do it for years. You talk about Datsuk, Zetterberg. They were four, fifth and fifth and sixth round picks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's definitely something that needs to be talked about. Um, whether the changes come, that'll be uh, a, another another discussion. But um, yeah, I think it's a good opportunity for the league, and and we'll see where that uh, that takes them. Definitely. Um, that said, I want to do, I want to jump over to, uh, the Maple Leafs. We will jump back to the OHL in a second. Our guest yes. actually will be talking about the OHL and hopefully a return to play plan, um, at some point in the very near future. Uh, that said, let's jump over to the Maple Leafs. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Matthews. Uh, obviously he's kind of the headline of the Leafs right now. Um, playing injured. There's, there's a discussion that, uh, you know, he can recover well playing, which is why he's continued to stay in the lineup. Yeah. Um, 21 goals, just having an unbelievable season, even with the sore wrist. And if you if you saw his overtime goal the other night against the Winnipeg Jets, I mean, sore wrist or not, I, I, that's just an incredible move. And, and it was all wrist action. So is this really a discussion that should continue to be a headline or are we kind of wearing this story thin? I think a bit of both. I mean, it should be discussed because, you know, it is one of our, it is our top player and you want him to be a hundred percent healthy. You don't want anything to affect him going forward. But at the same time, they're still finding a place for him where he can still excel. And I think even um, Sheldon Keefe placed him in front of the net. And in the first game against the Winnipeg Jets, got two goals, one off a tip and one off like a really good, like quick, um, quick one tap pass from John uh, Tavares to try and get the lease to get the lease within one and try and tie the game up. But it is a difficult situation. I mean, the fact that he's still scoring and obviously he didn't have a good game, but nobody had a good game against their rubber match against the Jets. Um, he's still he's still finding ways to score and produce. And that's the main important thing. Obviously, I 
with after this Ottawa Senators game, you got four days for him to fully regroup and recuperate. So that way his shot could be at 100% and we could see that one-timer blast against the Calgary Flames. But there's this tweet out from Sportsnet Stats where as a result of that uh, goal, players with the most go-ahead goals since 2016-17 that include OT winners. David Pasternak is third with 60, Ovechkin with 64, second, and Matthews is first with 68. And obviously he's dealt with some injuries in the past. This one is a little bit more concerning because it is in his wrist where, you know, all his shot is like, you know, his bread and butter. But man, he's more than just a shooter. And we've seen that with his hand-eye coordination, especially on that first goal. Um, to deke out and freeze a Vezina Trophy winner like that, man, how he pulled that off with a risk that's not even 100%, that's not human. I don't think he's human at all. No, and if you slow it down, it looks so incredibly casual the way that he did it. It yeah. just, there was, no, there was no effort in it. And, I mean, I think that was the most insane part about it was that, like, it just seemed like he... He wasn't trying to do it. He just did it. It just came naturally to him. And that's, that's, I think that's what is so incredible about Matthews as a player um, is that he does have that natural talent. That's so unnatural to other, other players that, you know, obviously he, he works hard for it, but um, it just seems to come to, come to him easy. So I, I do think the story is wearing a little thin in, in the sense that, you know what, it's been a couple weeks now. He's had the wrist injury. We understand mm-hmm. that. You know, it is something that obviously he can play with. Um, yeah, he might need a game here and there for maintenance. But, um, I mean, at, at a certain point, we got to start talking about the Leafs as a team and, and what they're doing and what they're not doing. And um, we saw a little bit of both in this last series with the Winnipeg Jets where, you know, they did get some stuff done offensively. Uh, that said, defensively, they just looked horrible. And Frederick Anderson taking a lot of the heat for, for his play. Um, last night's game, again, we're recording on Sunday. Last night's game was not impressive whatsoever. No. Um, some silly, selfish penalties really led to, uh, uh, you know, the Leafs kind of letting things get away from them. Um, but, yeah, just uh, – just a rough, rough series for them, especially after seeing them shut down guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl against Edmonton. Um, this series is just kind of, you know, things got away from them a little bit, and uh, the Jets were able to close the gap in the standings. Yeah, I think we're at a point now where it's even a little bit of fatigue is starting to set in. I mean, they had a really tough stretch, Western Road Trip come back, and you have a three-game set against the Winnipeg Jets. And that is normal. I mean, let's face it. Teams have stretches where, you know, they're not at 100%. And we've seen that in the past with even some of the best. But last night, it was a, an, a, it encompassed everything. It encompassed, you know, poor defensive decisions. I mean, not even challenging on the first goal where um, the puck goes off Mason Appleton's skate. No challenge at all. Two player, I believe it was Zach Bogosian and someone else trying to pressure uh, the puck carrier, gets it over to Appleton, and then easy, fluky goal. Then there's, you know, behind the neck, Anderson tried to play it. He loses control of it. Travis Dermott is down there, really doesn't know what to do in that situation. Puck comes out, and it's an easy tap-in goal for Adam Lowry. And even so, just like 
the penalties itself. I think some of those calls were, I don't, you don't want to blame the officiating, but that was a poorly officiated game. I mean, you have William Nylander get tripped up, no call. Zach Bogosian does a phantom slash, that's a penalty. And then you have three straight penalties in a row where, you know, obviously they were, that was deserving, but at the same time, it's like, what, what was going through his head? And I think at even one point, Anderson got tripped up at his net where skit, uh, skate on skate happened and there's no penalty. And especially the last two calls at the end, Morgan Riley and Ehlers and then the Zach Hyman so-called interference penalty where you saw Sheldon Keefe go on a tirade. And I don't blame him because that kind of play happens at least four or five times a game where you're battling for the puck in a faceoff and it's not even a penalty. And just that consistency factor with the NHL and the officiating is starting to get to a point now where it's getting ridiculous. But yeah, Keith said that you either win with good habits or you lose with bad habits. And I think in this series, we saw some of those bad habits start to creep in. And I know I said, I mentioned Travis Sturman, but Justin Hall really struggled this series, even towards the tail end of the Vancouver Canucks one. He did not look good at all. I mean, some of it, like, he was pinching too much, getting caught out of position, and it was just a real mess considering how good of a season he's had so far. Yeah, no, and I, I think it was – everyone was throwing all this hype on him for, for so long, and, and I think he succeeded in a sense where he was able to fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. And now that the spotlight's on him, it, it happens so often in big markets like Toronto where – spotlight suddenly on you everyone's talking about you and the pressure's now on your shoulders and I think he's just got he has to go back to the basics he has to figure out what he was doing right in the first first half of the season that made him so successful and and find a way to to not you know not take so much on all the time I think he's trying to make the pretty plays and instead of instead of just getting the puck out and, and making making the right positional plays that you know it, it does it does eventually weigh on a player and, and uh, you know, they start to make mistakes like he is. So um, that's, that's my observation. Um, you know, I, I do want to jump back to, to Anderson for just a second here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Ferrier from uh, the hockey writers, our, our colleague, he, yeah. he mentioned um, that over the last four games, um, Anderson's save percentage are eight, seven, one, eight, two, six, 889844 his season save percentage is 899 so below 900 and is it fair to criticize anderson right now as a goaltender with the fact that it's it's it is a team it is obviously a team issue in the sense that the defense are not helping um and i say defense loosely i mean the entire team in front of him, the five mm-hmm. guys on the ice at, at all times are not playing the defensive zone properly. But is Anderson at fault as well for just not finding ways to get it done? Absolutely. I mean, I like you said, like there are times where the defense, you know, collapses and we saw that during the series. And, you know, it's hard to put the blame on Anderson for a few goals. But there are some, even in the past, not just a series, but throughout the whole entire season where – Anderson just does not look like, you know, the Anderson from two seasons ago. He is not in the zone. He, I, I, something really is up with him, and I think he needs to get it sorted out quick because at this point right now, 
they're going down a really important stretch. You're over halfway uh, with the season right now. Is it time to try and look to somebody else? I know he's a free agent at the end of this year, but is it time to go and, let's say, go to Jack Campbell when he returns? And you could also make an argument saying that, oh, Jack Campbell has only played in three games. Well, yeah, but he's also been injured for quite a bit. And you know what? Three games he's played, 133 goals against average, and a 951 save percentage. That's the kind of goaltending that you need. You're not going to win and you're not you're not going to make the playoffs or get by in the playoffs, sorry. You're not going to win a round with below 900 save percentage. That's not going to happen. It didn't happen last year. It didn't happen the year before. And it's certainly not going to happen this year if, it, if the Leafs get to that point. Some of those goals that Anderson has let in, you try and... I try to look at and see if that's a play that Jack Campbell or if that's a save that Jack Campbell would made or would have made. And most of the time, Jack Campbell probably would have made that save. I'm just curious to know what's going on with Freddie right now. If it is the injury that's still lingering with him that he suffered against the Montreal Canadiens. If it is something else, um, I don't know. He, He needs to get refocused and dialed in again because it's not looking good at all. And you mentioned the defense in front of him. We said it before. Yeah, it has played an issue where he's left hanging dry and he has no chance to make a save. But there are a lot of easy ones going through and that cannot happen. Yeah, I think my thing is like if you lose a game like 2-1 or something like that or 3-1, I mean, you're not really you're not going to be jumping on the goalie as often. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're giving up four or five goals, I mean, and your save percentage is below 900. There's there's a part of that where you you as the goaltender need to take a lot of a lot of responsibility and and yeah. last night he did last night following the game he, he said did. I was not good enough we were not good enough and and a hundred percent hundred percent I res- I have a lot of respect for that yeah you mentioned it though he's got to get he's got to find a way to get dialed in he's got to find a way to to make things to to kind of go back again I want to go go off the same thing I said about Hall go back to the basics. Mm-hmm. Figure out what worked for you because this season he's had a tough go. Yeah. And if it's injury related, you know, I'll, I'll eat my words. I'll eat my words. But I need to see some sort of indication that he's still got what he had in previous years left in the tank. Because come playoff time, it's a completely different story. People are going to be crashing the net. You have to remain focused. Um, this is a tough, tough North division. I know, I know people mm-hmm. are saying Toronto's at the top because it's not a tough division. Calgary is a tough team to play against. It's Winnipeg, a tough division. It is a tough division. Yeah. It is a very tough division. And the Leafs have six more meetings with the Winnipeg Jets over the next six weeks. So something's got to change because this is the team that's going to wear you down. This is the team that's going to beat you in the playoffs. And all of a sudden we're going to be talking about the Leafs being knocked out of the playoffs all over again. And against the Winnipeg Jets, it was mostly that Appleton, Lowry, and I forget who the third player is, but it was that third line that was giving him more trouble than anything else. And you saw that. Mason Appleton had a really great series. I'm going to throw it out there. He's the kind of player that you want to excel in that third line role, and I think he's running away with it. I know what I would do, and I want to get your take. Would you start Jack Campbell for the next few games and see where that takes you and make a decision if he's a starter? 
so long as he's healthy. If he's healthy, yeah. I put him in there and, and I ride the hot hand. Right now, he's the hot hand. Mm-hmm. This is a league now where it's a 1A, 1B goalie system. Um, you're seeing it in Montreal. Uh, Carey Price is not getting it done. At yeah. what point do you run with ja- Jake Allen? Um, you know, we saw Kadobin last year in the playoffs just run the run run away with it with with Dallas. He's not he's not their their <clears throat> starter. He's not he's not a full time starter in this league. Um, there there's I mean even Vancouver you got Thatcher Demko but backing yep. him up you have Braden Holpe like there's a one A one B. Doesn't matter who the A is. Doesn't matter who the B is. It's a two goalie system. You can't rely for for so many years. They've relied on Freddie to play sixty games. It's it's come to the point where you need to find a way to get that other goaltender in the system to help you and help benefit Anderson. Push him right now with with Campbell having only played three games and being out of the lineup. Obviously, again, not his fault, but you're talking about a guy who you know, put him in there and, and force his force Anderson's hand to be a better goalie. It's a contract year for Anderson. Yeah. And like, he's not living up to it. He's not living up to it. When you when you talk about contract years, you want guys to go out there and, and earn their bucks. Go for their yeah. next contract. Right now, for me, Anderson's not a six million dollar goalie. No. And I'm just looking at it. Three games. Three games started, three wins for Jack Campbell. So I'm also – here's the thing. Going into the season, I thought that the Maple Leafs would benefit from the situation where, you know, Freddie does well for four or five, six games. If he's starting to tail off, you go with Jack Campbell. You would have that, you know, that consistency and that, you know, t- good tandem that could get you throughout or, you know, get you wins throughout the season. I'm starting to wonder maybe he – is he – does he feel threatened that Jack Campbell is playing better and now he's trying to – he he might be scared about it, that maybe he will lose a starting role? How – how I, I get what you're saying. I yeah. guess my question is if you're a professional athlete, you got to use that as motivation. Mm-hmm. And maybe this Absolutely. is the point where now you get a, a sports psychologist involved in it and, and get him to kind of refocus. Because mm-hmm. at this point in time, he's not focused. He's not going out there and, and playing a focused game. He has not made that incredible save where you look back and you're like, wow, that stole the game for us. Yeah. I, I literally can't think of a game this season where he's done that. And mm-hmm. when you're when you're when you're a team that maybe maybe your star players ha- haven't come out to play that night and you've only got two goals, you need your goalie to step up and play that game that I mean, he's getting paid to play. Steal a game. You're gonna have yeah. to do it in the playoffs. That's why. That's why against Boston for for the last how many years we haven't been able to get it done in the playoffs because we haven't had a, a game stolen for us. In the past, there and I. This I found this really fascinating, and I just found this again right now. Anderson endured an ultimate stress test from Navy SEAL training in the past, and this was dating back in March eighth, twenty nineteen. Um. An article by Kevin Woodley from NHL.com is it was to help him get comfortable in uncomfortable situations, especially being in the crease with the Maple Leafs right now. And it was called Hell Week, and it was trying to survive one of the toughest U.S. military tests ever. And 
Anderson said that it was a way of training your mind to be able to take a second before you make your instinct reaction. And it could be a way of learning it of how to get rid of stress. And I think one of the key things that I took away from it is probably controlling what you can't control. Um, what looked like, and I remember seeing a difference in his play when he talked about the story or when the story broke. And then you see, you saw a difference in his play. Like he looked motivated. He looked calm. He looked under control. You're not seeing him do that right now. You're starting to see him panic. And we saw a little bit of that, especially in the series against the Jets. He was panicking quite a bit. And I'm just starting to wonder if that training helped him in the past, is this something that he could look to going forward and try and like, you know, to help rebuild his confidence again? Cause it, it looked like it did help in the past before. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I think anything you do will probably help your game. I think it's, you got to find that way to, to figure out how to get yourself refocused. I mentioned it uh, just a couple minutes ago. He's not focused. You can mm-hmm. see it in his game. He's not, He's not going post to post uh, the way he normally would. He's he's getting more distracted with the players in front of the net. Um, not I I feel like he's just not seeing the puck the way that he normally would, controlling mm-hmm. rebounds, and it's giving second and third chance opportunities to the to the opposing teams. And there were two goals by Paul Snassi where it was a tip in front and there was no coverage. And deflections are really hard. That could go either way if you're a goaltender. And it just happened. When I think of deflection, it's either really good or really bad. And I thought those were really good deflections from Stastny, but bad coverage because he was wide open in front of the net. Yeah. And another quote that Anderson mentioned, he said about the Hell Week, he said, obviously, you're not going to feel the same type of panic in a game, but you will feel some sort of stress and that ice cold water. Or I I guess he did a... um, cold water training uh with an ice bath earlier in the article and he says that um it simulates a very stressful situation where you've got to focus to gain your to gain your breath back and just calm your mind down this is this is what he's talking about this is what he's talked about to try and get things under control and it's we're not seeing that calmness again and i'm just trying to go back and make sure i attribute this correctly um, he was with an extreme performance training lifestyle system, to, uh, with XPT life. Sorry if I'm jumping all over the place. XPT life is an extreme performance training lifestyle system developed by a husband and wife team, big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, a former professional volleyball player, uh, Gabriel Reese, where, um, Anderson was dumping, dumping himself into an ice bath on Instagram during a break last year or during that time. So, I'm not saying he needs to dump himself in ice cold water again, but I, it's it's these things that he was talking about that he found success before. Maybe he needs to go back or try something different. I mean, it's 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 perplexing because you want him to succeed. We saw him make huge saves like he did against David Pasternak in that playoff series. I remember I was at a bar and I just almost spat my beer out because I'm like, what the hell did I just witness? And that sealed the deal for the game. Those are the kind of saves that we saw Frederick Anderson make. He can do them. It's just, where is that gone? Yeah, I know. And I think this is a great opportunity for him to kind of get refocused. They have a game tonight against the Ottawa Senators. Mm-hmm. And then they are off for four days, have a back-to-back se- series um, 
against the Calgary Flames Friday, Saturday, and again, four more days off before they play again. So this is the opportunity for them to get refocused. This is the opportunity for them to get, whether they need a little bit of team bonding. I know it's hard to come by in COVID times, but find a way to to get refocused, to, to loosen up, to not, you know, grip the stick as hard as you're gripping it and, and figure out a way to get things done. I've, if, if that's not able to happen, obviously, you know, if you're, if you're Toronto, uh, you're looking for another, another piece to add to the puzzle. And, you know, you, you've mentioned it, uh, with the Ricard Raquel possibility, obviously Mm -hmm. Pierre Lebrun kind of, uh, added to that fire, uh, saying that there is, there is interest or, or that, uh, that is a possibility for the Maple Leafs. Um, but I do think the Maple Leafs made a move this week that kind of opened the door for more opportunity um, in terms of the trade market. And we talked a lot about in the preseason or, or prior to the season that Miko Lettinen was a big piece that uh, the, the Leafs were able to sign um, in the offseason and our interest in seeing him you know, get things underway in his NHL career. We will not see that as as part of the Maple Leafs anymore, and, and yeah. I think it's a good opportunity for Miko Lettinen to get some playing time. Hopefully, um, he as he was moved to the Columbus Blue Jackets in exchange for Vini Vavalainen. And sorry if I butchered that, but um, regardless, one of their top goaltending prospects, and we've talked about this with Mark Shag before on this show, the the goaltending. Um, drafting that the Columbus Blue Jackets seem to do year in and year out in picking up these unbelievable talents uh, between the pipes. Obviously, Corpusalo and Merzlikens uh, are, are a testament to that. But uh, good good move by Dubas and the Leafs to bring in a goalie prospect, especially with what's waiting in the winds for, for the Toronto Maple Leafs as it pertains to goaltenders. I mean, you can never have enough goaltending depth. I mean, we saw that in the past. And right now, I think this is probably a really good move. Obviously, you know, good numbers in the AHL. Um, His junior numbers jump off the page right then and there. And his time uh, in the Liga. And, I mean, it, it is impressive with what he's done in the past. And I believe... I wrote, I mentioned a tweet about his record. I believe he was like 10, 19, and 4, but he had a decent save percentage and a goals against average in total in regards to his overall play uh, in the American League. And yeah, with Miko Lettinen, you weren't get he wasn't getting to see the ice time. And I think that right now, sending him over to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Maybe they could use some more help on the back end. Um, he's a, he could play either left or right. So that's a really good um, situation for them where they could either utilize him on the left or right-hand side. But yeah, he wasn't getting his opportunity here. It was, it seemed like he was getting better as time progressed and like when he saw more game time. But lately... They've been rolling with the hot team right now and who has been. It was really difficult to try and take someone like Zach Bogosian out because he was playing well. Obviously, him and a bunch of the other players on the defensive side haven't been playing well lately. But overall, you're going with Zach Bogosian over Miko Lettinen. And uh, Vevelainen uh, went 10, 19, and 5. 901 save percentage, 277 goals against average. 
So a really good prospect in the works, maybe a good project where they could develop him and he could be um, a steady backup presence, maybe a starter. I don't know. I don't think he'll be a starter, but he could provide some steady backup presence. And this is a really good move for them. Yeah, and I mean, you can talk about it either way. Obviously, it gives him another piece in net, but it also gives him an opportunity to maybe move, you know, you talk about... Another contract out. Another contract out, whether it be... They might even use him as a possible tool to to, to get what they're looking for. And we mentioned mm-hmm. the Raquel the Raquel possibility. Obviously, there's, uh, there's the uh, stall rumors that are surfacing. Um, you wrote a piece on the stall rumors. Yeah. I personally don't see a guy like Stahl being brought in. Um, I think you've got that veteran presence there that you yeah. want. Um, I just I, I think you're adding too many too many pieces that are, are very similar. It, it, it's the same way in that like the Leafs didn't sign Clifford and brought in Simmons. Um, yeah. and, and you know Clifford obviously doesn't have maybe the same offensive upside that Simmons could have. Mm-hmm. but a very, very similar player in the sense that they come out and bring a physical presence. Um, but I, I don't personally see the stall uh, rumors panning out, but who knows? Who knows? I, I think everything's continually surprising me from 2020 to 2021. Yeah. I continually be surprised. And no, that's, and that's fair. I mean, it, it, it was just really interesting to see that, you know, that they could be in on him and it could be a very good option as he can play both center and wing. And that's really something I was trying to go for is just trying to show like his replacement over someone like Alexander Kerfoot. Um, And maybe Kurt, obviously Kerfoot is not going to be enough in any deal. You need to add more to it, but like you just look at the production in terms of their numbers, Eric Stahl kind of had an advantage over Kerfoot in that regard as a, except for goals four, where Kerfoot had 68.42 and 29-17 for Saul, according to Natural Statric. But just the energy and presence, his ability to get on the forecheck, and not only that, we've seen Kerfoot elect to make a pass instead of shoot the puck quite a bit. Stahl would probably get the puck on net as opposed to just trying to set it up. So I think maybe that could help him in that regard. Whether or not it happens, we don't know, but I, I, he could be a really good fit, especially in that top six. Um, Again, he's still... Obviously, 36 years old. He's not 41 like Thornton, but he still got some gas left in the tank for him. Obviously, with LeBron saying that the Leafs may be all in on Raquel, it if that's the case, and I read that you might have to give up Rodin Amirov. You're if you're in an all-win or all-in situation right now. You have to consider it. Whether you make it or not, it's something that you really got to consider. You have enough prospects left in the tank. You're basically, if you're, if at this point, I would like to keep Amirov, but if it's not Robertson, Sandin, or Lilligren, you could be on the way out or be expendable or used to get in a bigger piece. You don't want to see it because you still want to like beef up that prospect pool in case something does happen and Rodney Namira pans out to be a really great two-way player. But if you're serious about it, it is really something to consider. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get it. I think you know where I stand on the all-in uh, idea of uh, oh, yeah. you know trying to go for it this year. I, I get that. Um, 
for me, it's it's finding a way to, to bolster yourself in, in your own end. And, and it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean another blue liner. I think TJ Brody has been the best pickup the Leafs have made all season long. Absolutely. Um, his defensive play is just incredible. Obviously, Bogosian's exceeded my expectations. But I think if you're going to do anything, you got to find a way to bolster yourself in your own end. I don't know if Raquel is the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't know if if giving up a guy like Amirov is is really the the answer. But that being said, um, you know, if, if you can do that and and you have to consider that Amirov might not be up in the NHL for another three to four years. Yeah. Let's let's say three to four years. That means that's three to four years that you're kind of looking at guys like Marner, Matthews, Nylander, Tavares, and they they are getting older. Yeah. Yeah. They're probably going to be in their absolute primes at that point. But um, do you want to wait that long to see what that core could do? Yeah. I don't. I, I personally don't. So. I, I get why there's this suggestion to do the all-in, but at this point in time, if you can't win with the team that you have on paper right now, I mean, you've got the role players. You've got the Travis Boyds. Maybe you move Kerfoot for something. If you can move Kerfoot for something and get a piece back that might be a little bit more beneficial to you, that's I, I understand that. I just don't see moving a guy like Amarov for for – for Ricard Raquel with no guarantee that he's going to be with you long-term. Yeah. I mean, and let's face it, we've seen Dubas work his magic. We've seen him not give up a prospect where it was a top tier one. We've seen him give players that were not necessarily on the, that were technically on the outside looking in, in terms of their prospect situation where maybe they could go and find a spot in, elsewhere. I mean, we look at Jake Muzzin with uh, the Carl Grunstrom trade. Had a really good World Juniors, and then he gets traded. Or I'm not sure if it was World Juniors, but he had a really good season with the Marlies, and then that led to him being a prospect, and he's finding good success right now. So let's say it isn't Rodin Amirov. Let's say he does move maybe a um, Philip Hollander. Maybe he moves a Semyon to Argon Shinsev. Um, a Philip Kral, maybe. He's been pretty. He's uh been pretty good lately. Uh, Mikhail Abramov. Maybe you move Nick Patan. Is Alex Gatchenyuk expendable? Uh, uh, he's had a really good start. Maybe he does find a place with the Leafs. Maybe he doesn't. A lot of interesting situations right now. But if you're looking at you, you just mentioned uh, try to bolster up the back end right now. Um, what is and I know we talked about this on the Maple Leafs Lounge on YouTube. Um, is Matthias Ekholm someone that you would like to have on this team if it means improving up on a Travis Dermott or a Justin Hall? I would. I'd be willing to give up one of those guys for a guy like Matthias Ekholm. I think Matthias Ekholm doesn't get enough credit because mm-hmm. he plays in Nashville. Um, I I think he's defensively he's. He's pretty sound in in the way he plays positionally. Um, And I think he does have that little bit of offensive upside that we've seen over the last couple of seasons kind of emerge that, you know, he can be a beneficial player to have as well. But he's more of a stay-at-home guy. And, you know, he... We we see that with Jake Muzzin where he's a stay-at-home guy. I think he skates better than Jake Muzzin. Mm -hmm. And because of that, he can be really beneficial whether you put him on and you can put him anywhere in the lineup. He could be a first, a first pairing. He'd be a second pairing. He could be a third pairing. And I think he's going to benefit your defense. 
Um, that said, the asking price for him is going to be big. Yeah. And and you're either going to have to see Dubis work his magic, as you mentioned, or you're going to see Dubis give up a, a big piece for a guy like Matias Ekholm. Yeah. And especially with the trade deadline right now, yeah, things aren't going to be cheap. I mean, even during the pandemic, I don't think teams are going to be wary about like second guessing themselves on a deal. But in a, in a situation like this, where it is a good player like a Raquel, like an Ekholm, they're going to be doing their heart. They're going to be doing their homework right now. But if Dubis needs to make a deal, now's the time to do it. Where you have two straight weeks, where you have eight days off and only three games. So. He's yeah. he if he needs to make a deal right now, now's the time to do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, you, you mentioned a th- uh, an upcoming Thornton milestone uh, earlier in the show. I do also want to mention that last night, Saturday night's game, he became the sixth all time uh, in games played, passing Mark Recchi, um on on the NHL's all time list. So just um, incredible numbers for him. Um, yeah, I I I, I mean. It is it is what it is. He's 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 pretty much solidified his place in in hockey history. Yeah. Um. He's he's a great. I think he's a big benefit to have in the Maple Leafs dressing room. But uh, yeah, he's the second um second highest active player on that games played list behind former teammate Patrick Marlowe, yeah. who's at seventeen forty eight and obviously has had that Ironman streak. Uh, over his career, uh, but yeah, 1,653 games played at the NHL level. Um, he'll have to play at least another season if he wants to pass Ron Francis and Yarmur Yager uh, mm-hmm. for fourth, for fifth and fourth on that all-time list. But uh, yeah, pretty incredible numbers for for a guy who's been around for a long time and and just continues to find ways to get it done. So one thing's for sure, he'll be at 1654 tonight on Sunday. That's right. He will be at 60, <laughs> unless there's something we do not know. But uh, if you're listening to this and he played Peter with the scoop. I am right. Call me. The um, in- sorry, say that again. Call me the insider. Call you the insider. That's right. Um, jumping from that, I want to send it over to our guest right now. Yes. Um, obviously, I, I did want to mention to you a little bit about the OHL. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of talk still still forming with the Ontario government in terms of how to get the OHL season underway. They do want to play a season, whether it's 20 games, whether it's, you know, 15 games, they want to find a way to get something done, get these players back on the ice. The hashtag players not playing is surfacing all over Twitter. Um, and, and it all started with our guest today. Uh, his his dad played for the Maple Leafs, Nathan Parrott. He is a member of the Owen Sound Attack. Um, yeah, let's send it over to Andrew Parrott right now. Hello, everybody, and I just wanted to introduce our next guest here. Uh, he was a second-round pick in 2017 for the London Knights in the OHL priority selection. He also was a third-round pick in 2017 for the Madison Capitals in the USHL. He now plays for the Owen Sound Attack. Andrew Parrott, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I think we got to start it off with, uh, obviously, you know, you got a petition going um, here for the OHL to get back underway. Um, you know, big thing for the overagers to try and get that last season under their belt. Um, you know, what kind of what kind of made you want to go that route and, and, and you know, get, get a voice out there? Uh, I think kind of the tipping point for the uh, whole situation was when I saw 
WHL come out with their plan to play and that they were going to have a season that they were going to start as well. Because at that point, uh, us and them were the only two leagues not playing in North America. So when I saw them have a plan in place and it kind of just made me think that a lot of people have voiced their own opinions on the situation, but there hasn't really been any perception or perspective coming from the players. So I thought it'd be important to just get that out there. Yeah, Andrew, you just mentioned that, you know, they, that WHL had something in place. The QMJHL was the first one that started off. How important was it for you to speak out and, and, you know, as a voice for the OHL and all of its players to get the attention of the Ontario government, as well as the, um, the commissioner and everybody else that's a part of the OHL? Yeah, uh, obviously it was a little bit scary to uh, kind of be the one to put my name out there first and get the ball rolling with things. But I was very relaxed and relieved to do it when I saw a lot of my teammates and colleagues also sign the petition and put and start like a lot of guys are starting to just do their own things now and voice their own opinions publicly too. And it's just been amazing to see. And it's kind of taken the weight off of my shoulders and kind of the pressure that I felt a little bit with it and the nervousness of putting my name out there because now that it's been put out there, the petition's been put out there. Almost everyone in the league has signed it. I'm pretty sure at this point in time. So it's, it's just been amazing to see everyone come together and try to get things going. You have your tweets with uh, the letter to the government, as well as like uh, quotes from like anonymous OHL players has garnered a lot of attention online. Um, obviously that was the main goal because the tweet itself almost has 1500 likes and over 1000 retweets. Yeah, I thought, uh, so my plan at first was I kept the petition I sent the petition and the letter out to individuals on teams and told them to send it to their teammates in their group chats on teams because every team has a team group chat. So I sent it to a bunch of like guys I knew, reached out to guys I've never even talked to before and just asked if they could do this to keep it within the players. And we ended up getting 146 in 24 hours. And I thought that was really good. So after the first 24 hours, I sent it. To directly to uh, Commissioner David Branch and uh, Premier Doug Ford and Lisa McLeod and Christine Elliott. And uh, just after that, kind of gave them another 24 hours to see if maybe they would respond to me directly, just make sure they obviously would have read it, have seen it, went over it. And then I thought it was just important to uh, take it to social media, let anyone who hasn't seen it get to it and when that happened uh the petition just it just exploded like any everyone started signing it and it was crazy like uh even nick felino on the columbus blue jackets tweeted out something and signed it himself and i thought like wow this is just amazing and just shows how how important hockey is just to everyone yeah, there's almost a solidarity in in the way that the game is. Um, it, it's it really is a unified group. Um, the the petition right now has about 2,600 uh, um, names attached to it. And have have you had any kind of response um, from from the government in this in the sense that you know obviously we know they're looking to find ways to get it going. Um, but that being said, um, any sort of response in terms of 
you know, trying to push it a little bit quicker in, in, in getting a plan in place? Uh, I haven't gotten any direct responses, but I got, I think I got the responses that I was looking for because I wasn't really expecting a direct response at all because they're very busy. They have a lot of things on their plate to handle. It is a pandemic. We're not the only situation in the, in the world right now that has things like problems going on. They have a lot on their plates. So the fact that they did come out with a statement that a day later, the government has worked really hard recently to get things going. Lisa McLeod came out with real, just amazing statements the other day that lifted so many spirits and around the Ontario hockey league community, I think. And it, I think I've gotten the perfect response from the government, the league and everything. And I think they are working really hard and everyone just, everyone wants to get back on the ice and we all share the same goal. Yeah. You just mentioned that, you know, she did come out saying that there is some good news in regarding to a return to play plan and even Darren Traeger during the Leafs, um, uh, Maple Leafs Winnipeg Jets game uh, mentioned something about the return to play plan, something being in place. Um, it's great news going forward that that there is going to be a season, but do you think that it may be a little bit too little too late, seeing as how other leagues have started playing, you know, since last, uh, in late 2020, there were talks about a February 4th day that didn't really sort of play in at all. Um, what's your, what's your take on that right now? Obviously as a player, it's not the ideal plan, uh, in place. Obviously, if it was a perfect world as a player, I, we would have started back in uh, August, normal season, 68 mm-hmm. games. But uh, I just think at this point in time that a lot of guys are willing to do anything to just get back on the ice because a lot of us do miss the game. We miss the memories in the locker rooms, the hotels. Uh, if there's a bubble, that I can't imagine how many stories guys will have coming out of <laughs> their bubbles after it. like it, it'll just it'll be crazy and it'll just i think the excitement in the atmosphere when you see uh everyone in the locker room again and just being around the guys will just be amazing talking about memories um obviously this this year you started off uh, on loan to Slovak in Slovakia with HK Martin um you know 10 points in 23 games 50 pims um you know what kind of what kind of memories do you take away from a, an experience like that yeah it's been amazing uh obviously a larger ice sheet over here so i've gotten to uh i've actually gotten to develop a little bit of an offensive side of my game which has been nice personally because uh i play more of a defensive defensive defenseman style game hard to play against so that's been nice uh the guys on the team have been amazing and a couple of guys have taken me out in town. I uh, got to play pond hockey one day with uh, Radislav Spirko and his uh, kids. So that was pretty fun. And it's been it's been a really good experience. And it's definitely something I'll never forget. Got my first uh, career professional hat trick out here, too. So that's something I'll never forget. Big congrats on the hat trick. I mean, um, never easy, especially when you're going over to a new league and everything like that. Um, what w- when you first landed in Slovakia, what was your initial reaction of like the country itself, the culture? Um, just take us through what was going through your mind. Yeah, I when I first land, I landed in Vienna, and uh, it's just a, that's a beautiful city itself. So my uh, driver was just driving me to uh, my town here in Slovakia, and I was just looking out both windows just looking at 
the uh, surroundings. It's very beautiful here, a lot of mountains and everything. And it's just been a really good experience so far. So you're you're over in Slovakia right now? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, so any any other imports that are kind of playing with you, or or is it uh, strictly um, Europeans that you that you're playing with with uh, HK Martin? Uh, I'm the only North American on my team. There are other imports, but they are Czech and Russian. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I want to jump back to kind of your OHL days uh, right now. Um, obviously. You know, you started your career with the with the London Knights. What was it like playing for the Hunters? It was amazing. They uh, they know the game inside and out. They're some of the smartest hockey people I've ever been around. And everything they've taught me, I have adapted and, and put into my game. And it's made me a lot better of a hockey player. I couldn't believe the uh, the strides I took from minor hockey and my first year, like just learning stick placements, like just little details to the game that I never really understood or knew before I became a lot of night. You mentioned all the stories that you, and uh, talk that you have with all the players and your teammates and just wanting to get back to some sort of normalcy. What's the main thing that you want to see when you get back onto the ice? Uh that's a hard one. I don't, I don't know. I kind of just want to just get back on the ice. Cause the first time you throw on that uniform again, and you see all your, your brothers throwing on the uniform too, and just the excitement in everyone's eyes. And I, I, I honestly can't put into words the energy that'll, that'll be in the, in the locker room when we suit up for our first game this year. I can't, I honestly don't even know how it's going to, it's going to be surreal, I think. And a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people, uh, comment like oh, 20 games like oh it doesn't mean anything and I, I just I honestly would like to just tell those people like you, 20 games you're probably only going to have four teams make it from each conference I would imagine would be the layout you're going to have guys playing playoff hockey right away like it's going to be intense guys haven't played in a whole year guys have to like make names for themselves. It's important still for an important year for first year eligible draft picks. Always trying to look for contracts. Like it's going to be, I think it's going to be a lot better hockey than people are expecting. Guys are going to be laying, laying on the line right away. And we've seen the success that the NHL has had with their bubble system and their divisional realignment, the road junior championships. Um, I know that the main concern was for the American teams, Agonoff, Lint and Erie. Um, with the cross-border play or the border crossing issue, especially with the quarantine. Um, if there's a bubble divisional system like the NHL has right now, do you think that that could work? Yeah, I think I think that would work. I, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I don't really have an idea of what their plan is going to be. There's been rumors of moving them to the OHL for the season. Obviously, if there's bubble cities in the OHL, it, everyone's moving. There's only going to be four teams or two teams that have home ice advantage technically. So I don't see it being a huge deal for them to move for the season. Uh, I've heard rumors of a bubble in Saginaw or Flint and we send two OHL teams to the U S. So I honestly have, uh, I don't really have any idea what's going to happen. 
Going back to Slovakia for a second, um, what was the protocol that you had to go through to get over there? Uh, I just had to get a negative COVID test. I had to have proof of uh, work coming over here, that I'm not just coming over here for uh, vacation and for fun. And uh, just while I'm over here every week, I have to get a COVID test uh, to play in those week games. And it's it's just been – it's kind of been really easy so far it hasn't really been uh that difficult that said there is some fun included in what you're doing over there yeah for sure <laughs> you mentioned about uh the the negative testing and the protocol that's happening over there um we've talked about this on this podcast a number of times about the protocols that the ohl could take in regards to so- social distancing mask wearing and following the guidelines outside of the arena and because basically what happens outside affects what's going to happen inside the arena. Um, do you think that if, you know, if the league just follows or the players stick to the rules, everything will go smoothly? Yeah, I, I, obviously their uh, first priority is health and safety right now with the mm-hmm. pandemic. That's what it's all been about. So I think they'll come up with guidelines that'll be easy for us to follow, easy for us to understand. And I think that guys in the league are just so willing to do whatever it takes to play hockey right now that there won't be any questions about us following guidelines and making sure everyone's safe. You talked a little bit about how being over in Slovakia has given you the opportunity to open up your offensive side of the game. You know, obviously you got a hat trick, um, but your pr- last season, 2019, 20 with Owen sound, you had uh, your career year with 27 points in 62 games. Um, what changed in that season that maybe allowed you to develop that offensive side a little bit more? Uh, my coaches and Owen sound just kind of giving me freedom to, uh, to just play my game and go out there and cause a hockey is a game of mistakes and that you are going to make mistakes in the game. And they were very good with, yeah, there are times I was going to make mistakes, but they weren't gonna, uh, sit me for long periods of time because I made a mistake or something. They were just going to teach me my mistake, learn from it and just do better the next time. So it was very, it was very nice to just have that comfortability with my coaching staff. And they were very confident with me and allowing me to play my game. Uh, before the season, I ended up going to a Boston Bruins rookie camp and I actually did. I actually exceeded expectations there from a lot of people, including the Bruins themselves that they told me and just going there and doing a lot better than I thought I was going to do as a, uh, as a camp invite going to play against guys that are playing in the NHL right now. So that kind of gave me the confidence I needed coming into the season. Andrew, your dad is Nathan Parrott, and I remember him fondly with the little stint that he had with the Maple Leafs in 03-04 and at the beginning of 05-06. What advice has he given to you as you embark on your journey to, tr- to reach the NHL? His main advice is just to take it day by day and just make sure I'm the hardest working guy in the gym and on the ice because a lot of guys can make he a lot of guys can make careers just by working hard every day and doing the right things like stretching, eating right, getting the proper sleep. So he just tells me to take it day by day. For a guy that plays a physical game, um, there was talk earlier in the year that, you know, the OHL might come back without any hitting. What uh, what kind of thought process 
went through your head when you heard that? Uh, to be honest, I was a little nervous. I didn't really know. <laughs> I didn't really know how I was going to be able to play. Uh, but I, I don't think, I don't really think uh, I would have struggled too bad. It would have been, probably would have had a lot more penalty minutes that I would have liked at the end of the year. But uh, I'm just happy that that's kind of moved on. I think hitting is a very important part of the game. Like not only uh, for playing defense, but I also think it creates space on the ice offensively. I don't think I would have had 27 points last year if there was no hitting last year. Cause I believe that with my physicality, I created space for, for myself on the ice to have extra time to make those offensive plays. And not only that, it's something that players like, you know, from my, from the minor level moving all the way up, it's something that they're accustomed to. Can you just imagine a league where there isn't any hitting at all? And it kind of takes it back, you know, not necessarily the physical strength, but the impact when you get to the NHL or the AHL in another league where they're going to be hitting and you're going to be one step behind. Yeah. Like, uh, I just like for guys that aren't even physical, just for, I thought about for skill guys like forwards in our league that necessarily aren't physical guys that want to make that jump to the NHL, AHL the next season, if there wasn't any hitting it, they'd almost be thrown off by it. I feel like, like, you didn't have any hitting in your junior hockey. You go to the American League at NHL and you got six, five, two hundred and thirty pound guys just coming at you. <laughs> well, Andrew, um, we don't want to take up too much more of your time, so we just wanted to thank you again for coming on. Um, mm. You know, good luck over in Slovakia. Hopefully, we get you back here uh, in Ontario soon, and uh, you get the opportunity to go out for the Owen Sound attack and uh, you know really set the tone uh, this season. Thank you. I appreciate it. Good luck. Thank you. Well, Peter, I think, uh, I mean, that was one of our, uh, one of our top interviews by far this, uh, this season. Um, you know, I think Andrew had a lot to say in terms of why he started the petition to get the OHL season underway. Obviously he's a guy who's getting up there in terms of being an overager, um, you know, playing over in Slovakia, it's given an given him an opportunity to continue his his professional career, and uh, we mentioned it. He obviously scored his first hat trick uh, over in Slovakia, so that's uh, you know congratulations to him. But for for a guy like him um, to come out and be the voice of the players, um, it just kind of goes to show you what what this league means to some of these guys, and, and for 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 them to still not be playing. For them to still not be showcasing what they're able to do on the ice, um, you know, uh, kudos to him for 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 putting a voice out there and, and giving players an opportunity to be heard by the Ontario government. Yeah, it's huge, and you, he basically said that you know it, this was big for him to try and be the voice, and with so many of them wanting to get back and play to get on the ice. This is an opportunity, not just for the young players or the ones that were just drafted, but those that are, like he said, that are still fighting for, you know, a tryout, um, trying to continue with their career, overagers um, whose time is running out and would like to play one more time because this could be the end for them. It's it's something that needed to be done. And the fact that it's taken this long to try and get something going, it's actually kind of disappointing that every other league has found a way to start up 
And now when you think about it, the OHL, the big, one of the biggest leagues for developing players that have come through the GTHL or other uh, minor hockey league systems right now, some of the best players have come through all those leagues or through those levels. And now everyone's taking a hit, a massive, massive hit to their development right now. And great. Yeah, they're talking about it. They want to get something going. But at the same time, they had something in place that was set for February 4th and nothing happened. If they would, to be honest, they it could have been done earlier. It could have been done when the season, if a season started up in January, February. Um, let's hope that this is the third, third. Uh, let's hope that the, the third time is a charm. Sorry, really stumbling over right now that this can get done. It can happen because it. They they've seen what the NHL has done. They've seen what other leagues have done, and they can try and improve on certain areas where it led to an outbreak, and they could easily identify it and fix a solution and make sure everything is good going forward. They've had other people set the standard for them to try and perfect it, and they haven't said anything up until now. It's disappointing, but I'm glad that it's something's coming up soon, hopefully. Yeah, and uh, obviously a lot of a lot of conversation about uh, what can be done. Um, Ryan Pyatt from the London Free Press here uh, did say that the OHL boss David Branch uh, mentioned regarding Minister McLeod's comments. We're encouraged with the progress being made in our discussions with the government and public health, and look forward to finalizing an arrangement that will get our players back on the ice safely and as quickly as possible. Possible. So again, still no deadline in terms of how they're going to get it done but i wanted to mention this and i didn't mention it in the interview and i kind of i'm kind of frustrated that i didn't but the alliance um alliance hockey here in in uh london and sub southwestern ontario uh obviously the london junior knights play in in that uh, league um they're back underway they're 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 starting to get games played and it's it's pretty crazy to think that you know, a, a league with for for a basically minor hockey is getting back underway. You got the minor midgets, you got all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and you can't find a way to get the OHL back back on the ice. And that's yeah. I think that's what's most frustrating for these players is that there are other leagues that are getting underway, and you have a government that is just refusing to find a way to make it happen. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I I highly recommend. If anybody can jump on to to, to Andrew's uh, Twitter um, and, and sign this this petition and and help these guys get back on the ice. At the end of the day, this is their livelihood. A lot of these players are looking for opportunities. Andrew Parrott had a tryout with the Boston Bruins. Uh, went to their training camp, their rookie camp. Um, had an opportunity to, to to play with some of those guys, and uh, you know this was his chance to come back and and get a chance in the OHL to to show that he does belong. Uh, in, in the NHL, and um, yeah, I, I just think it's 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 frustrating for these guys to not be able to get on the ice. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, he got a hat trick overseas, so that's really good for him. Hopefully, you know that scouts are looking at him. Hopefully, they could give him a, a chance as well because hey, he could play with that edge. He's a really steady uh, player. Um, let's just hope that everything works out for him. And every other OHLer out there because they deserve it. Just get them back on the ice. I mean, it, it's been far too long. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, 
just two notes that I did miss uh, in our opening news. Um, first off, Ovechkin uh, scored his 716th career goal last night, uh, Saturday night, in his fi- uh, 500. Sorry, on his 5,638th career shot, passing Yarmer Yager for the second most shots in NHL history. With 5,638 shots in 1,175 career games, Ovechkin has passed Yager uh, on the all-time shots list in 558 fewer games. So just a, a, an unbelievable note to kind of, yeah, for people to understand how much this player shoots, um, I mean, I think he averages like eight, eight a game or something like that. It was it was crazy. I I once put money on on how many shots he'd get in a game. I think the the over under was set at eight and a half, which is just unbelievable. <laughs> so, um, also worth noting that uh, London or London native and uh, Kings defenseman Drew Doughty also recorded his 400th assist this uh, this uh, week. Pretty great numbers for a guy that, uh, you know, has had a hell of a career both internationally and uh, at the NHL level. Um, so that was uh, that's big news for him as well. Um, there was one. Our tweet of the week seems to be kind of uh, has been fun over the last little while. So I do want to. Yeah. There's two that I want to mention. One um, for anybody that listens to the uh, Cam and Strick show. Uh, it's Cam Jansen and Strickland uh, who covers the St. Louis Blues. Um, they had Mike Babcock on and Babcock talked about how he sat Jason Spezza in the opening game after he signs a contract with the Leafs. Uh, obviously this was when they still had fans in the arena and, and he was playing in his hometown. Uh, just, just a, uh, me personally, I, pardon my French, but it was a bullshit move in my, in my opinion. Um, Anyways, I retweeted the comments and, and and wrote Meathead. Anyways, Cam Jansen writes me back and he's like, "Who me?" And man, did I shake my boots for a second because I was like, "Holy, I got I got this heavyweight, uh, you know, coming back at me on Twitter." But that for me was my tweet of the week. I also there there is one more. The NHL tweeted out on March 9th a video from NBA star Jason Tatum and his high school days. And the video featured Matthew Tichuk dancing in the background while holding his laptop. Laptop, Phenomenal <laughs> video. If you get a chance, go take a look. March 9th, the NHL tweeted it out on their, on their uh, official Twitter. This is so Matthew Tichuk. It is unbelievable. But it's, it's definitely worth the watch. I I must have missed that because I did not see that and I follow the NHL so um I'm definitely gonna have to check that out but yeah um you messaged me when the the Cam Jansen thing happened I'm like wait what happened with you and Cam Jansen so I actually went on checked out and I caught myself off and I'm like oh, okay so it was because of that comment where you know it, it is in response to Babcock because like let's face it it was a dumb move I mean. I believe he said that, like, oh, it was uh, simply because of the fact that, um, you know, they wanted, like, they didn't have a, a right-hand shot, and they went with uh, Nick Shore as a right-handed shot, and they didn't have anybody else to kill penalties at that time. I'm just going to throw this out there right now. Yeah, that was, a, that, that was the excuse back then, but let's face it, right now, especially doesn't get enough penalty killing time, but he has been out there to win a faceoff, come off, and then the next player comes on to win a draw to gain possession. Seems to be doing fine winning draws on the PK. And also, 
I'm getting sick and tired of hearing Babcock say, oh, he's a left-handed shot, he's a right-handed shot. Forget that left-handed, right-handed business right now. Go with the best player available. And at that time, Jason Spezza was the best player available to play in that fourth-line role. Because let's face it, Nick Shore barely saw any time after that, and then, what, he was placed on waivers and then got picked up. What does that tell you? And Spezza's playing out of his mind right now in the fourth-line role because he's getting the ice time and the opportunities with a coach that actually values him. So, there's yeah, I. I honestly think that the the whole Nick Shore uh, business was Dubas's way of kind of letting Mike Babcock know, hey, I I brought Spets in, you're gonna play him, and Nick Shore just ended up being the kind of scapegoat and, and throwing him on waivers was a way of saying to Babcock, like, you know, figure it figure it out, yeah, figure it out with Spets in the lineup. So, um, yeah, just <laughs> the, funny the moment, Cam, funny moment because you never expect a guy like Cam Jansen to kind of get back at you, but. Um, yeah, if you're listening, Cam Jansen, which I know you're not, I do apologize. I don't think you're a meathead. I actually am a huge fan of yours ever since I heard you uh, on Spitting Chicklets. I think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just down-to-earth funny guy uh, with a lot to say, and uh, I have no issue with it. Uh, the meathead comment was not at you. It was at Mike Babcock because since Mike Babcock's been getting back into the media, all he's had is excuses. And yeah. uh, me personally, uh, not just as a uh, Leafs fan, but as a as a writer, as a as a person who has respect for the players that would play for my team, um, I'm just sick and tired of the excuses. So, Cam Jansen, keep doing what you're doing. Mike Babcock, you're a meathead. Absolutely. What Andrew said. With that said... Folks, that brings an end to episode 31 of Sticks in the Six. I want to thank you all again for joining us for episode 31 of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at Peter Barracchini. You can follow myself, or sorry, P. Barracchini. P. Barracchini. Yes. Don't look for Peter. <laughs> uh, myself at Andrew G. Forbes or the pod at Sticks in the Six pod. Uh, head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast to download our latest episode. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so we can bring you all kinds of content going forward. Until next time, Peter, thanks again for joining me. And we look forward to next week with lots more of Hockey Talk. Absolutely. Have a great one, guys. Yeah.